It's another day and I'm glad you're here. Welcome to Day in History, Old Iowa Newspaper Edition. Up first today, we'll look at the Iowa Capitol Reporter's Saturday, December 10th, 1842 issue. My name is Kristen and let's get to it. Miners Bank of Dubuque. On Wednesday last, Mr. Rogers, the representative from Dubuque, gave notice that on some future day he would ask leave to introduce a bill into the House of Representatives, providing for the repeal of the charter of this institution and for the final closing of the same. It is now, we believe, some 18 months since this bank suspended specie payments. During the session of the legislature last winter, an effort was made to get up a committee to examine into the condition of the bank with a view to ascertain, if possible, whether the institution was in a solvent condition and if, upon examination, it did not prove to be so, to take measures to make it wind up its affairs. Owing to its having then been suspended but a short time, and to the fact of its having paid specie for a considerable time after the suspension of the rest of the Western banks, the members of the legislature at that time were disposed to treat it as leniently as possible and failing to agree upon any mild course of procedure towards the bank, nothing was done. Since then, the stock of the bank has changed owners and the management of the concern is in the hands of the Gas Light Company of St. Louis, a company generally conceded to be insolvent. Since this company have had control of the bank, it resumed specie payments for a short time and the community generally believed that the resumption would be permanent, but they were doomed to be deceived. For as soon as the bank got all the paper afloat that she could, the doors were closed and the people found themselves minus a considerable sum of money by the operation. Being opposed to the present banking system, which is only calculated at stated periods to swindle the people out of their hard earnings, we hope to see this, the only bank in the territory, forced to do her duty or be compelled to wind up her affairs immediately and at once pay the holders of her paper the amount to which they may be entitled. It is hoped and confidently believed that the present legislature will take prompt and energetic measures to close this more than doubtful institution. It is now owned by an insolvent banking institution in St. Louis. It has in every particularly particular forfeited the confidence of the people of the territory and should be immediately forced to surrender its effects for a pro ratio allowance among its creditors. We understand that there is no division of opinion among the representatives from the electoral district in which the bank is situated. They are all decidedly in favor of its being wound up immediately. Now, in the Iowa City Daily Republicans, Monday, December 10th, 1883 issue. Iowa City in brief. The mayor kept watch of six tramps who were hanging around one of our clothing stores this morning, but when the alarm was sent for the marshal, they sniffed danger from afar and skipped. 
grandmother Belle, as she was familiarly known, died at the home of her daughter in the western part of this city Saturday and was buried yesterday. The old lady was born in Wicksboro, Wicks County, North Carolina, about 1790, and was the slave of Mr. Gwynn, a prominent man of that county. Her mistress, Mrs. Gwynn, on her dying bed, gave her her freedom. Her husband belongs to the same family, and when some of the sons of the Gwynn family moved to Georgia, her husband and she went with them. She had 10 children born in slavery, and one, her youngest, Mrs. Bell, born in freedom, as by law the children followed the mother. After Mrs. Bell's marriage, her husband purchased his freedom, and they came here in 1856, bringing the mother with them. As her first child was born in 1807, she must have been 93 or 94 years old. For the past few years, she has been a great care, care, but has been tenderly cared for by her daughter and her family. She has probably two sons living at the South. Now from the Daily Citizen, Saturday, December 10th, 1892 issue. The City in Brief. The recent storms of snow and sleet have interfered with our corn harvest. Many of our farmers employed the time during the fine weather in doing fall plowing, and as a result, the storm caught them with a large share of their corn unharvested. Some fields are yielding as high as 90 bushels per acre. M.A. Packard and daughter Mosala of Friend, Nebraska, are here. Madame Rumor, Mrs. Partington, or some other mother magpie, Seth, a wedding is on the tapis in which the young lady will appear as a principal female performer. Mrs. Pat Cusack slipped, fell, and broke her right arm on Friday, the second while hanging out a washing. The accident is doubly sad as she has the care of an infant a month old. Miss Iola Packard has returned from her northern visit and is reported much improved in health. Charles Roberts, who went west last week in search of a home, has returned. We hear he did not purchase and may remain here for another year. The turkey shoot on Thanksgiving at Graham's Sawmill was attended by many of the best marksmen of the county. We noticed among the number D.H. Simmel of your city, who seemed to enjoy the sport like unto a boy of 16. About 25 turkeys were disposed of during the day. The ladies of the Christian Church of Frank Pierce gave an oyster supper in the church on Friday evening, the 3rd. It was largely attended and was a success, both socially and financially. The good people of this vicinity called upon Mr. and Mrs. Clark Wimmer Saturday with baskets well filled with tempting viands such as the ladies here know how to make, and soon a table was spread fit for a king. After dinner was served, they presented Mr. and Mrs. Wimmer with a large number of useful articles for the household and of nice warm winter wearing apparel. 
spent an hour in social intercourse, and departed for their homes, feeling they had performed a pleasant act of kindness. Mrs. W has been sick for several months, hence has not been able to make the above necessaries for winter use. Now from the Iowa City Republicans, Tuesday, December 10th, 1912 issue. Farmer victim of peculiar delusion. Levi Perrance, aged 46 years, a farmer living near Alta Vista, was committed to the state hospital at Independence for a very peculiar type of insanity. He is the victim of the fixed delusion that he murdered someone on last January 1st. He does not know who was his imaginary victim or what weapon he used to accomplish this murder. He carried this secret until last July when he unburdened himself to his family and his pastor and begged the authorities to search for the murdered body. It is positively known that there is no truth in his statement or ground for his remorse. He says that he has prayed over the crime all these months and now being convinced that there is no forgiveness for him on this earth, he has threatened to destroy himself to atone for his crime. He has made several attempts to commit suicide by hanging but was prevented by the watchful members of his family gets a bullet into his thigh. Jay Kennedy, former resident, shot as a result of accident while on duty in Chicago. Jay Kennedy, formerly of Iowa City, now a railway policeman in Chicago, was shot in the thigh as a result of a peculiar accident while on duty in the Panhandle Yards last Friday night. While crossing the tracks, he slipped and fell with his hip against one of the rails. The jar caused his revolver to discharge, and a bullet plowed a flesh wound in his thigh. Mr. Kennedy secured medical aid and was able to continue at work, according to word received here. Mr. Kennedy is a native of Johnson County. John DeHan, well-known east of city, had been a woodchopper in Graham Township, was a sort of educated wanderer. John DeHan, the man found dead in a barn on the Oliver Hill farm Saturday, was a sort of educated nomad who had visited Iowa City periodically for the last 10 years. Many or all winters were spent in chopping wood in the eastern part of the county at Graham's Grove and other places. Mr. DeHan was recollected by many Iowa City people as a hardworking, pleasant-mannered, Hollander, who talked with a marked foreign accent and was well posted for many of his habits and occupation. He had mentioned occasionally that he had relatives in Racine, Wisconsin, and this is borne out by the finding of the name Miss Jessena Dehan Racine among the papers found in his clothes. Now from the Iowa City Daily Citizens, Tuesday, December 10th, 1918 issue. The City. Miss Dorothy Lillick is recovering after a recent siege of the influenza. Mr. and Mrs. Grover Watson are both recovering after an attack of influenza. 
Miss Marie Phillips is unable to attend school this week on account of the influenza. Miss Mary McLaughlin is confined to her home on Iowa Avenue with the influenza. Professor F.C. Ensign of the Department of Education at SUI is ill with laryngitis. John O'Leary has returned from Chicago where he attended the International Stock Show. Solomon Simpson is recovering from the Spanish influenza and is able to be around again. Miss Helen Coleman of Muscatine returned home Tuesday after a visit with friends here. Miss Irene Linder has recovered from the Spanish influenza. Her sister Helen is improving but is not able to be around yet. Mr. and Mrs. Murray of Davenport are visiting at the W.J. Baldwin home on North Lynn Street. Roy Hill, who was taken to the homeopathic hospital yesterday, seriously ill with pneumonia, is reported much improved today. Mrs. L.J. Renda left for a visit at her daughter's home near Riverside. The daughter, Mrs. Ray Cummins, is reported ill with the influenza. Ethel Stewart of Saranac, Michigan, has completed her secretarial course at Irish's Business College and returned home on December 2nd to accept a position. The two children of Mr. and Mrs. Lewis Shump, who have been ill with influenza, are now recovering. Mrs. Shump has also been afflicted with the same disease. George Weller, son of Professor and Mrs. H. Weller, who has been ill for the past two weeks with a complicated ear trouble, is now greatly improved and is able to be around. Herbert Long has been in the city for the last few days. The former university student is on a leave of absence from Boston, Massachusetts, where he is stationed in the Naval Station branch of the service. Joseph Slavata's car was damaged Saturday night while standing in front of his tailor shop on Clinton when a Ford car backed into it, smashing a fender and doing some other damage. Miss Florence Johnson of Ionia, Michigan, has completed her secretarial course at Irish's Business College and returned to her home December 2nd, where she accepts a position. Roy Cox, a graduate of the Iowa City High School, has returned from the officer's training school at Camp Pike, where he, in, where he recently received his honorable discharge from the service. Corporal Ray F. Freeman arrived yesterday from Camp Merritt and is visiting his mother, Mrs. Frances Freeman, of 730 North Lynn and other Iowa City relatives. He enlisted from Shelby and has now received his honorable discharge. In the district court Tuesday, Judge Otto heard the case of Warden and Kimmel versus Mary Meyer Snyder, a suit in Replevin relative to old iron, junk, and automobile parts valued at $2,100. The case was taken under advisement and decision will be made later. Word has been received from Henry Lewis en route home from Seattle, Washington, 
that his daughter, Mrs. Carraway, who is accompanying him, has been taken ill at Miles City, Montana. He is thought that she will be able, it is thought that she will be able to continue the trip within a day or two. Philip Newberg, the older son of the local photographer, has written his parents from Camp Mead, Maryland, where he has been stationed in the photographic division of the aviation section, that he expects to be home soon now. He has already received part of his discharge examination. Lloyd McKinley, formerly a student in the Liberal Arts College, has returned from Camp Pike, where he had been attending the last officer's training school. Mr. McKinley did not finish his course, but accepted his honorable discharge instead. He will be back in school at the second quarter. Lieutenant C.J. Turner, well-known graduate of the College of Dentistry at the University, has arrived in the city from New York where he was already to sail for France at the time of the signing of the armistice, which stayed all sailing orders. Lieutenant Turner was before that time stationed at the big aviation camp at Taylor Field where he received his commission. Mrs. E.E. E. Douglas and daughter, Miss Helena Douglas of Pueblo, Colorado, and da Dr. Edgar Stimmel have arrived in Iowa City to attend the funeral of David Stimmel, which was held this afternoon at 2 o'clock from the residence of Mrs. Albert Stimmel, 202 East Davenport Street. Mr. Stimmel was a former resident of Iowa City who passed away in Pueblo, Colorado, Saturday morning at the home of his daughter, Mrs. E.E. E. Douglas. The Board of Supervisors of Johnson County held a brief session at the courthouse Monday morning after which they adjourned to the county farm where they took an invoice of the stock and other articles of value. Auditor Souk accompanied the board. No further business will be transacted. This session, as Mr. Ranshaw was sick and did not report while Mr. Zanacek has members of his family sick, and demanding his attention. Women of Keokuk made 170,000 surgical dressings for soldiers who were in France. Besides this work, they made 4,000 other hospital dressings. Stanley C. Thomas, son of Mrs. C. H. Thomas of Iowa City, who is a member of the Naval Section of the SATC, has been in the University Hospital since October 1st with pneumonia and has improved sufficiently to be up and out of bed. His many friends will be glad to hear of his recovery. Now from the Iowa City Press Citizens, Friday, December 10th, 1920 issue. Grafter gets Gaeta's coat. Louis Gaeta, a fruiterer and confectioner, living at 107 Iowa Avenue, was mulleted by a man whom he thought was a friend. The young man, the son of a former load tree merchant whom Gaeta knows, asked the fruit man to cash a $5 check so he could buy a railroad ticket home. Gaeta did so and later found that the check was bogus and the young man hadn't gone to Lone Tree at all his family having removed to another Iowa town, 
leaving the confectioner too trusting, holding the sack. Suicide is farmer's fate. Ralph Hildebrand committed suicide by shooting himself at his home southwest of West Liberty about two miles Wednesday evening. He wrote a note saying his mind was falling and went to the barn where he fired the fatal shot. His parents, Mr. and Mrs. Edgar Hildebrand and his brother, Harry, heard the report and hastened to the barn. Lying on the floor with a still smoking gun at his side, and with a load of deadly lead in his hand. Ralph was almost lifeless. He soon breathed his last. He was brooding over the death of his sister-in-law, Harry's wife, during the last two months. Melancholia superinduced semi-aberration, and he decided gloomily to end it all. He was a fine young man, and his parents and two brothers, Harry, West Liberty, and Guy, Atalessa, as well as other relatives, will have the sympathy of many friends. Iowa grid wins repute. Iowa football, not only at SUI, but other schools in the state, is vastly better than in the old days, declares Milton McKay of the Des Moines News Sports Department. Hawkeye schools, he writes, have made great strides during the last few years. Iowa teams now have real standing in the country, he declares, and expounds his theory thus. Iowa has improved in many ways lately, but there is no department in which her change has been greater than in athletics. A few years ago, to speak in all frankness, outside of her own dominions, Iowa had little or no standing in the world of collegiate sport. Today, she is receiving recognition from all parts of the country. She is turning out teams and men which compare favorably with anything that any other section can produce. Not many seasons ago, Iowa University was reckoned by far the weakest football team in the Western Conference. Defeat for her was so common and so repeated that there was a movement on foot to assist her out of the conference. As a football team, the Hawkeye team was reckoned a good tittlewinks aggregation. Ames was little different. She had her up and down years, however, and placed along toward the middle of the Missouri Valley Conference, which is a slower circuit than the Big Ten. The other schools in Iowa were lost in the shuffle. Drake was lost habitually, and Grinnell and Morningside were still in the embryo stage. Today, Iowa is one of the strongest schools in the Big Ten. This year, it turned out a football team, which, which although it was forced into fifth place, was on par with anything but Illinois and Ohio State. They defeated Northwestern, Minnesota, and Indiana decisively. Ames ranks near the top of the Missouri Valley Conference. They were beaten by Missouri, but trounced the Kansas Aggies, Washington, and Grinnell, Missouri and Kansas being beaten by the Tigers 10-7 and Kansas 7-0. They walloped Washington and tied Grinnell. Grinnell has ascended to the Missouri Valley Conference, while Morningside has been taking on schools like Notre Dame, South Dakota, and Valparaiso for some time.
A number of Iowa men were named on the All-Western, All-Eastern, and All-American teams. Aubrey Devine made every Big Ten mythical team, many on the All-Western, and a place on several All-American third teams. Weston of Wisconsin, a Mason City boy, was an All-Western and All-American choice by most critics. Belding of Iowa and Slater of Iowa were similarly honored. Holly Wallace of Ames made several mythical teams as All-Western center, while King of the Navy, a former Grinnell lad, made most of the All-Eastern and some second and third All-American teams. $100 is gift of children. The children of Swisher have contributed through their efforts as entertainers to the Czechoslovakian Fund for the Prevention of Tuberculosis in Bohemia among the poor little orphans, a sum of $100. The proceeds came from the sale of pies, etc. at auction after the good entertainment by the kiddies who were ably directed by Mrs. Frances Rompultle. The Samaritans of Co-College Camp, Czechoslovakia, are working under the general auspices of the Komensky Society, which founded the Charitable Fund. Wanted Female Help Wanted Girls Havermere Agency Wanted Nursemaid, University Hospital Permanent Position Applied to Miss Watson Sun Hotel Wanted, Elevator Girl, Jefferson Hotel. Wanted, Chambermaids at the Herky Hotel. Berkeley Hotel. Wanted, Counter Girl, Apply Jefferson Coffee Room, Mr. Joyner. Wanted, Girls at Once for Woolworth Company, 5 and 15 cent store. Wanted, Girl for General Housework, Small Family, 16 East Prentice Street. Lost. Lost. Key ring. Finder, please return to press office. Lost. Black folding pocketbook. Entertaining $18. Containing $18. Finder, please leave at press office. Reward of $5. Lost Wool Auto Robe between Iowa City and Sharon Center. Please leave at this office. Reward. Lost Ford Chain and Tightener between Iowa City and North Liberty. Leave at Press Citizen Office. Reward. Santa Claus here tomorrow. Here's gladsome news to the kitties. Santa Claus has notified the Yetter store that he will be with them in their toy department Saturday afternoon. This will be the big chance for all to get to see him. He never fails when he promises to be here. The jolly old fellow in his red suit and furs. It will be a treat for young and old. That's it for today's Day in History, December 10th. Thanks for tuning in.